It's so good to see every one of you this morning. So glad that you're here with us. And if you're not with us in the room, grateful that you're here with us uh, virtually online. So good to uh, just be able to worship uh, together. Before uh, we get to Matthew chapter 6 that George read for us and um, continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, um, I did just want to ask, I know that it's... um, Super Bowl Sunday. Is anybody aware of that, that there is a football game happening this evening? Um, I I wanted to just kind of just pull the room. This is just for my own personal curiosity. How many of you will be cheering for Tampa Bay this evening? All right. So we're going to speak on prayer. And so this is now who we will uh, be lifting up to the Lord. Um, No, it's... uh, It'll be a fun day as we see two great quarterbacks. I do have to just acknowledge that I'm the exact same age as Tom Brady. We're very close in age. Me, him, and Dirk, those are my, uh, you know, three uh, athletic. And, you know, the the three of us are mentioned in the same category often. Um, And... uh, just amazing when I think about what he can do. Uh, last night, I tossed and turned just being in bed hurt, and so I can't even imagine how he does what he does. So I do have a lot of just respect uh, for, of course, him being the GOAT. Well, we are continuing in a stir, uh, our sermon uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. If you're a guest with us, if this is your first time with us, we've been working our way through this text beginning in Matthew chapter 5. We'll go all the way through chapter 7, and um, it's our habit here at City Church. We just work our way through the Scriptures, um, trusting in the Scriptures to be the authority and fully sufficient for everything that we need to know about God and how we can have right relationship with Him. And um, so we've been working our way through, and uh, we began a couple weeks ago, we've had a a little bit of a break with our student disciple now weekend and other things from this text but um, we started chapter 6 a couple weeks ago, and in the very first verse of chapter 6, Jesus says he's preaching this sermon to this gathering group of people, these disciples, they're followers of his, and so we know that he's speaking to people who's, who he has already welcomed into the kingdom because of their belief in him as the Messiah. And he's giving them this instructions. He's told them all about why or how he's established his kingdom, how that interacts with the Old Testament in sort of the later part of chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he turns and he begins to speak this section about the reality that we live our lives before God, that God's very aware of how we live, the things that we do. And this warning from verse 1 really sort of summarizes or is an umbrella over the entirety of this chapter. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus gives this warning because he understands in our own sinfulness that we are tempted to, now that we've been welcomed into the kingdom of God, that we are his sons and daughters of the most high God, that we can be tempted to think that that's based upon our own righteousness, that we had done something to secure that for ourselves, or as we grow in holiness, that we can begin to get puffed up and look to ourselves. And Jesus is giving this very stern warning that don't look for the praise of men, but worry about what your father in heaven thinks of you and practice your righteousness before him. Ultimately, telling us that we live our lives before God, and God is very aware. 
So he begins to give these examples, and he gave examples of giving to the poor and how that some people give to the poor so everybody can know they gave to the poor. He says, that's not how you do this. Then he goes into prayer, and we talked about how our Father is aware of our heart of prayer. And as we go into prayer, even again, he gave this example of in prayer, as you're supposedly seeking the Lord, even through prayer, our sinfulness kind of can bubble up because we think if I pray the right words or if I pray in the right place so others might see me pray, then I'll be considered holy. There's a difference there. We're, we're, we're called holy or we're, we're established as holy by the work of Christ, not by anything that we do. And Jesus is warning and showing us that. Last week, Brother Kent brought us a message teaching us and reminding us as Jesus says he's told them how not to pray and what they shouldn't do and how sinfulness can, can creep into our prayer lives. Then he gave the example the model prayer of how we are to pray. And that's where we find ourselves the morning continuing in this model prayer called the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we often have probably recited, but perhaps we haven't ever really let the power of it sit on our hearts. Jesus taught us to pray as Kent taught us, that we pray to our Father in heaven We don't pray for ourselves or to ourselves as the Pharisees and the Gentiles did. We see that as that warning earlier in the verses that precede that, verses 7 and following. But we pray to our Father. Just to simply be able to pray to our Father in heaven is something that should cause us to be in awe. And this is something that we should learn as we work our way through this. This is, again, a little bit of a subheading for this entire prayer. When we step into prayer, we are praying to the God of the universe. So I'll just give you a little bit of a relief. When you step in sincerely to pray to the God of the universe, your words don't really matter. It isn't about what you say or even really how you pray. It's that you're praying to the God of the universe. And that God, that mighty, sovereign God that Kent showed us a picture of the galaxies that he cast into being and and, and established with a word, he is our Father. He is our Father, it says, and he is holy. And so we come into prayer, and Jesus instructs us that when we come into prayer, we should come into prayer with that in mind. Ultimately, this idea that God is very aware He calls us to pray. Jesus is teaching us to pray for a reason, that we should pray to him, that we can go to our Father in heaven who is Almighty God and still our Father, and we can understand that what we are doing is something that should require reverence as we consider him as holy. Then in verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just going to read the entire model prayer once again, just so it's fresh in our minds. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We started on this road of looking at this verse in verse 10, your kingdom come last week. But I want to dig a little bit deeper on that. He tells us to, as we pray, after we acknowledge that we are praying to the God of the universe, who is our Father in heaven, we understand the holiness that we step into that prayer with, that we ask for his kingdom to come. But when we pray this, and I think so often, if you just think about this, how often do we just run through these words? 
Ken alluded to this last week, that sometimes we pray and we look at Scripture and we just run right through things. We don't really think about what it is that we're actually praying for, what it is we're reading, or what it is that we're saying. But Jesus says that we should pray, we should ask for his kingdom to come. Now, if we think about what is Jesus talking about when he says, your kingdom come? I think we can be tempted probably like the Jews that were first hearing this. They were looking for a Messiah who would establish an earthly kingdom that would come and overthrow Rome. They wanted his kingdom, the kingdom of God that had been promised to them through the promise of Abraham to come right now. They wanted that kingdom now. And that there is in some senses this desire for God's kingdom to come. But specifically, what does that look like? How does Jesus' kingdom come? Because it clearly, he did not come as the Messiah who overthrew a political party or took action in that way. He came as a Messiah, the Messiah that was born in humility as an infant. So he didn't come in the same way. And so when we think of asking and praying, he says, that we should ask and desire that his kingdom would come, we need to look back just a little bit to where Jesus first mentions the kingdom First of all, in the very beginning of his, of his teaching, when he set out in ministry, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Those were the first words. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, so he's grown up now, he's beginning now to actually go out to proclaim his ministry and proclaim himself as the Messiah, to show the world that he is who he said he was, that he's the son of God and fully man, and all of those things headed to the cross. The first thing that he said, the very first thing, and I've talked on this, we preached through the Gospel of Mark, and you might remember me using this illustration, but if the great marketers of the world... Think of Apple or Coke or whoever. How much time do they spend thinking about their messaging and how they're going to say something and what they're going to say? They spend thousands and thousands of dollars, probably millions of dollars and thousands of hours preparing to say exactly what they want to say so that we'll buy the product that they put out there. Jesus, the God of the universe, took no less energy or effort, although it didn't require much of him, to decide what is it most important that I say first? What do I want the people to hear? And he says, the kingdom of God, that kingdom you've been waiting on, is here, is at hand. Repent, turn away from your sinfulness, and believe that. That's how he began. And then we fast forward to this message that he begins, the Sermon on the Mount, and you might remember this reference to the kingdom, the very first beatitude that he gives. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He references here again the kingdom. So when Jesus instructs us, when he's teaching us and telling us and giving us this model prayer of how we are to pray, and he quickly moves from acknowledging the holiness and the glory of God to asking for God's kingdom to come, we are not just praying for this new rule and reign in a sense, just simply sort of like at an at a over or a high level, but we are praying specifically for people to be saved. See, God establishes his kingdom. He builds his kingdom. His kingdom comes here on earth as each and every one of us came to faith. He's building his kingdom one soul at a time. And so when we pray and we ask and we say, your kingdom come, Lord, we are saying and we are praying that people might realize their need for Jesus and come to him for salvation. 
that they might realize that they are poor in spirit. If you missed our teaching on the Beatitudes, I'd encourage you to go back to the podcast at the very beginning of this sermon series. Just look for the very first two or three messages and listen to what Jesus is teaching us. The poverty of spirit that is required to enter the kingdom of God. And as we pray, we are praying that his kingdom would come, and we're praying the way that that's going to happen, what we're ultimately praying for is that people who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. See, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. So why would he instruct us to pray for the kingdom to come if he already says it's here? Because we live in this period of the already but not yet. Jesus has established his kingdom. It is here. And he is building his kingdom one soul at a time, one salvation at a time, one church at a time. That's how he goes about building his kingdom. And no, I don't mean that singular like he's done doing this one. Jesus doesn't have to work. He's not like me. I do one project, maybe a little bit, get 75% done. Then I move to the next one, kind of get a little study. Then I come back and finish the first one. Then I get to the third one. I don't know if anybody else has that problem. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus is at work all over the world all of the time, and he's building his kingdom, but he's doing that one soul, one church, one gathering of the saints at a time. And so when we pray and we ask for his kingdom to come, we need to realize that it's already here, and we're just praying for more of it. Now, we are also praying for the finality, what will ultimately end our desire for the kingdom to come. One day, we'll no longer ask Jesus to bring his kingdom. Do you know when that will be? When he returns, when he comes again. Because when he comes again, he will consummate his kingdom. The kingdom will forever be established. It will be finished. And so we also, while we're praying for his kingdom to come, we're praying for the building of the kingdom, one soul at a time, one church at a time, one group of people. We are also praying that he would return that he would come and he would do, he would finish, that we'd be able to move through the not yet and it would be done, finished, and we would be with him. This takes faith. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is at hand? If you don't, I would just encourage you to retell yourself the story of your own salvation, how you came to faith in Christ. Because if Jesus had not established his kingdom, you wouldn't be in it. You wouldn't be a believer. But the fact that you are a believer, that you have faith in Jesus, tells you that his kingdom is at work. And look around you. This is why the church is so important to us. Because I know when I am weak in my faith, when I'm struggling to see the hand of God, when I'm struggling to believe that Jesus' promises are real, I look out amongst you and I see God at work in your life. And I see God giving you faith and you believing, you stepping out boldly and courageously to do whatever it is that God would call you to do. And it tells me, okay, I can keep on going. I can go a little further. I can press on a little bit more. And I do that because you encourage me towards that. And that's why the church is so vital. We don't ask you and encourage you to come together so that we can sit here and count you and tell somebody how many of you there are in this room. That's not at all the heart of the church. The reason that we're here is so that we can encourage one another. We can walk with one another. We can spur one another on in saying the kingdom of God is here. I don't care what's going on out there in the world. The kingdom of God is at hand, and he is moving and living and breathing and at work in our midst. So when you struggle, when you are weak in the knees, you remember that the kingdom is here. 
And we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come more and more and more and more because I know you are coming again. I believe, I have faith that you're going to come again and you're going to finish what you started. All of that is wrapped up in this language of your kingdom come. By the way, if you want to know why our church is so passionate about church planting, why we talk about that, we don't talk about it honestly enough, but we try to talk about it as often as we can. We're a part of a church planting church network, our Acts 29 church planting network, because we know that as we pray your kingdom to come, what, we, what puts feet to that, what puts little tangible like work to that is seeing more churches planted. One soul at a time coming to faith, one church at a time. And so we need more churches. God is building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, as we're about to see. And each new church is an outpost for the kingdom of God, like an embassy where the broken and lost and dying world out there can look to the church and can see there's freedom there. We just sang about the freedom we have in Christ. Freedom from sin, from the bondage of sin. Freedom from the tyranny of the enemy who speaks against us, who attacks us, who accuses us. All of this is found in Christ. And we are the place where people come and encounter that. And so we need more churches. So there's more places in the world where people can come and encounter that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we need to remember as we began who we pray to. Our Father, yes, He is our Father. He is also the sovereign of the universe. He is holy. And one of the reasons it's so important is because when we pray, I know my own heart, I'm tempted. It's really hard for me to get out of my own way. Do you ever find yourself when you go into prayer, if you're like me, I acknowledged this a few weeks ago. We bow our heads in prayer. You go into your closet. You go into your room. You sit in your office, wherever it is. You're in the car. You begin to pray. And within about 7.2 seconds, your to-do list pops in your head. Yes. Well, I'm praying, Lord, but oh yeah, that, that laundry needed to be done. Yes. All these other things pop in our heads. Random ideas. I, I never think about anything. That needs to be done. I'll just tell you. But until I pray. Laurel doesn't like that because she's always, she's thinking about everything all the time. She's got a million plates spinning. Me, generally, there's not a lot of plates spinning. I'm kind of what's right in front of me. But then when I pray, as soon as I go to the Lord in prayer, then all these things start popping in my head that I never even, the entire day has never crossed my mind until that moment. I think some of that's the enemy just trying to tempt me. That's why I don't really get on the to-do list and all that because that's, that's the enemy. I don't need to know that stuff. What's in front of me? Let me worry about what's in front of me. But we do. We so, we so often lose focus. We just begin to think about, once we get through our to-do list, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm praying. Okay, so, Lord, will you take care of this for me? This person was a jerk. I need you to kind of move them out of the world. Uh, this, I need to kind of get this. I've, I've really been desperate for this thing. Can you help me figure that out? You know, we just, and it's whatever kind of our needs and wants. And there's nothing wrong for asking for those things, by the way. There's not, not, nothing necessarily inherently evil. Sometimes there can be, but not necessarily that it's evil to do that. But Jesus tells us that we need to think about the kingdom that is here and then immediately after that, that we focus our attention on God's will, what he wants. 
And he's teaching us to keep our focus and our eyes on God. So he instructs us to ask for the will of God to be done here on earth where he's established his kingdom as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of heaven, if I kind of ponder heaven, what immediately comes to mind, of course, is in a sense perfection. No sin, no hurt, no pain, no suffering. We think about just the absence of evil, all of those things. But God's will, his purposes, he says, are happening here on earth. In heaven, that's true. All of those things about heaven are true. That is the future hope that we have. But he says that we pray for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God's sovereignty is not put on check. He doesn't sort of just say, no, I don't rule right now over earth. I only rule in heaven. That's where all the perfection is. No, he's at work here. And we don't see it as we will in heaven, but he's doing exactly what he intends to do right now. So if God is doing what he intends to do here on earth, and yet we see all the messiness and it's not like heaven, why is Jesus telling us to even pray this? Doesn't seem that God, doesn't seem that he's doing that, doesn't seem that he's hearing that prayer, doesn't seem he's responding. Why? Because we are praying what we're praying for when we ask for God that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we're thinking all in terms of God doing all of these things absent of us. What we're praying is that his will would be done through us on earth as it is in heaven. See, one day we're going to have that perfect relationship with God, no separation. There will be no evil in the world. There will be no sinfulness in our own hearts. And when Jesus teaches us to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's teaching us to pray. He's teaching us that we should realize that God is doing what he intends to do in his sovereign power through his children, through his people. And so when we pray for his will to be done, Jesus is teaching us, move yourself out of the way and let God work through you. Ask for God to work through you. This is a prayer for our our hearts. Lord, your will be done in my life. Whatever it is that you desire to do in and through me. Jesus is teaching us to seek a righteousness that reflects the righteousness we will one day have in heaven. And guess what? That's possible. We grow in holiness, in faith. And we are to pursue a holiness of heaven. In heaven, if we want earth to look and reflect heaven, guess what? There will be no sin in heaven. Do you know it's possible to sin less here on earth? We won't be sinless, but it's possible to sin less as we pursue Jesus, as we ask for his will to be done in our lives. There will be perfect holiness in heaven. We will be perfect as our Savior is perfect. But guess what? We don't have to wait till heaven. We can be more holy today than we were yesterday. It's possible for there to be greater holiness here on earth. And if we want to see God's will, we will do God's will. And see, this prayer, as we orient our hearts, it points our hearts to God. You know, when I served in the military, they would give us a map. They would 
take us somewhere in training exercise. They'd take us somewhere. We wouldn't know where we were. They'd give us a map. And the purpose of this is so we could figure out how to get anywhere whenever we were. Well, guess what you have to do when you're trying to get somewhere? You got to know where you are. So they give us a map. This is old school, by the way. Now they do everything with lasers, and I don't even know how they do it all. But back in the day, we just had a map. And so I'd be in a place, and I'd look over there. There's a mountain. Okay, there's a river. All right, there's some trees. And I'd figure out where I was first. And then, based on where I was, then I could know how to direct myself to wherever I was being sent. We could figure out where we were going. In prayer, when we pray this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we acknowledge where we are. We are far from your holiness, God. We are so different than you. You are so other than us. And as we step into his presence, we ask for his help to do his will so that his will might be accomplished, so that we might get where he wants us to go, so we might follow him. This is what it means for his will to be done. Jesus teaches us that we are very much, you are very much, as a child of God, a part of what God is doing in the world. Remember, you matter. Your life matters. Your holiness matters. Your pursuit of God matters. All of these things Jesus is saying in this whole text. And here he's showing us how in prayer we acknowledge that. God is building his kingdom one new believer at a time here on earth. And as we pray for that kingdom to come faster and more quickly, we pray that he builds his kingdom, we realize that we are his children and that we should have a holiness and a righteousness that reflects that. Here's the good news. Heaven, when Jesus finishes the the work that he started, it's going to be great. But we don't have to wait till then to see God move. We don't have to wait till then to see his presence, to experience him in our lives. When we pray like Jesus taught us to pray, we get to see God now. This is what it means when we ask, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to receive communion now. And all of this is a result of the fact that Jesus came. Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life. And as he was preaching this message to these people who were listening, he was preaching it knowing that he would go to the cross, that everything that he was establishing, everything that he was doing as he was building his kingdom, he being completely obedient to the will of the Father, was ultimately his sacrifice on the cross, his blood shed for us that we are adopted as sons and daughters. And so when we talk about the fact that we have been redeemed, that his kingdom has come, that means he came into our own lives at some point. And I don't know where you are this morning. I expect that there's someone in the room that perhaps has maybe been around church a little bit, but doesn't know the joy and the freedom of following Jesus, doesn't know what it means to be a part of that kingdom. Well, let me just encourage you, friend. All that it requires is belief. Belief that what Jesus said is true and what he did on the cross was enough. You are saved not based on your righteousness, your holiness. You're not shunned by God because of your sinfulness or how other you are than him. But he welcomes us in grace and mercy. 
And what we believe, the reason that we take communion, as you perhaps maybe watch this or experience this, if you're not a part of this body, is that we just claim, we say that we, we are sinful, broken people who have been redeemed through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. That's it. On the cross, paid it all. God, in his holiness and righteousness, had to deal with sin. That was the problem in the world. And he dealt with sin through Jesus Christ, his only son, who he sent to lay down his life for you and for me. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so I want to invite you to believe that this morning as we take communion we don't take communion just as we, we don't step into prayer lightly. We don't take communion lightly. We take some time to just reflect. Jesus, in many ways, and through the Apostle Paul, even as we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, told us that we should examine our hearts, that we should just reflect on where we are. And perhaps before we come to the table and receive the elements, we just need to go to the Lord and confess and repent. Or perhaps you need to acknowledge, you know what? I don't know that I've ever believed this before, but today, Lord Jesus, I do believe. And then we would come to the table. So let me give you some instructions on that. I want you to just spend some time in prayer and do whatever you need to do with God. What's more important than even these elements on these tables is your time with God right now. And whatever he is speaking to your heart through the Holy Spirit, for you to just be attentive to that. So perhaps it's to believe, perhaps it's to just confess some things, to lay some sins down at his feet and just receive his grace and mercy. But this table is open to all who would profess the name of Christ. If you're not a believer in this room, we're not gonna, uh, there's no judgment or anything like that, but scriptures instruct us that we should only come to the table. If we can look back to the cross and we can say, that work of Christ on the cross, I believe for my salvation. I trust in the work of Jesus. So if you're a believer this morning, no matter whether you're a part of this family formally or not, the table is open to you. Jesus opens his table to you. If you're not a believer, as I said, spend some time with God and perhaps let today be the day of salvation. And at the end of the very end, you might come run up and take some of the juice, some of the elements and say, I do believe that today. What a gift. What an amazing thing that would be if today we saw one more soul welcomed into the kingdom as we've been praying your kingdom come. That would be our hope for you. And so let's spend some time with the Lord in prayer. And just as the Spirit leads, come receive the elements. Take them back to your seats as soon as everyone who desires to receive from the Lord's table this morning has their elements. We'll take communion together. So let's pray. Great and mighty God, you are sovereign, you are over all things. And yet you are a Father who we can cry out to. We just acknowledge together this morning your holiness. You are set apart from us, so different than us. We have no business having a relationship with you because of that. And yet, because of the work of Jesus, our Savior, going to the cross, laying down his life for us. Scripture tells us of him that he who knew no sin became sin so that we, these dear friends and I, might become the righteousness of God. We are in awe that we have been welcomed into your family, that you call us righteous, knowing just the sinfulness of our hearts. But we thank you for that. And as we come 
this morning to receive from your table. We remember that sacrifice, Lord. You, your broken body, your blood shed for us as a sacrifice. And we thank you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now, would you just move in our hearts and souls and accomplish, speak, do whatever it is that you intend to do. If there's anyone in this room that does not believe, does not know the hope of Jesus, would today be the day of salvation? Lord, build your kingdom now. We pray, we plead with you here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.